through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Uh, If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television here in, uh, actually, it's Wyoming, Utah, Idaho, and I've heard even parts of Nevada, uh, you can go to www.hotm.tv and watch live streaming video of the program from anywhere in the world. You can also watch our archive programs from that same site. Every Sunday from uh, 1 o'clock to 2 a.m. 820, uh, replays Heart of the Matter. Check it out. It's a great radio station. And then from 2.30 to 3.30 in the afternoon, join us for a verse-by-verse, never-denominational Bible study at the University of Utah. Uh, That's every Sunday, God willing, and Easter Sunday included. We will meet. Check out our brand new site at calvarycampus.com where you can get more information like directions, uh, times, etc. Drove out to Evanston, Wyoming with Cassidy last Saturday night and had a wonderful time with the folks out there. We were able to meet so many faithful people who love the Lord. Have Many of them have come out of Mormonism, uh, fans of the show. Thanks to everybody uh, out there in Evanston. Get your calendars out because we've got another speaking engagement coming up. It will be at the Refuge Church in Riverdale, Utah on Saturday, May 7th at 7 p.m. Ask a friend or a co-worker uh, to join you. It's a great way to kind of plant seeds, open up dialogue and discussion. That's the Refuge Church in Ogden, Saturday, May 7th, 7 p.m. I think we have a graphic on there telling you the address. You can also go to refugeutah.org and find out more about uh, that event. Speaking of co-workers, I want to introduce you to a very important organization. Uh, It's important for a number of reasons. First of all, it's a Christian group-run organization, and it's run by police officers in the state of Utah to reach out and support other police officers in the state with spiritual truths. The organization Shield of Truth, we have a graphic for you with the email ad, I mean the uh, website address for you, uh, S-O-F-U-T dot net. That stands for Shield of Truth Utah dot net. Um, another reason this group is important is because it kind of serves as a model for others out there to follow suit. What I mean by that is if you're working, let's say, as a nurse, um, start a Christian support group for uh, nurses, uh, Uh, coming out of Mormonism or trying to understand religion or Christianity here in the state of Utah. If you're a fireman in the state, I know they have Firefighters for Christ. Uh, It's a national organization, but start one here locally. If you're an electrician, if you're a Christian skier, 
get out there and, and you know, it doesn't take much to, to start a site and just kind of get it known around that, hey, I'm a Christian who lives in this state. This is my job. And I would love to dialogue with you if you uh, have the same career occupation. In the meanwhile, all you police officers, go to www.sofut.net for more information. What's interesting about police officers in this state, and they're kind of in a unique group, many of them are LDS, but they meet with the hypocrisy uh, that goes on in this state like no other. Uh, oftentimes they'll pull somebody over and the first thing the person will do is hand them their license and their temple recommend at the same time. Like, hey, you know, I'm part of the, the club. Don't you dare give me a ticket. And I know the police officers see this kind of stuff all the time. Plus they see the other side of the LDS curtain, so to speak. So uh, I think you should check that out. Finally, we want you to know about all the qualified representatives who are out there ready and willing to support you as you transition out of Mormonism. Let's, we want to show you uh, the names and locations of our qualified representatives right now. So if you see uh, your area and you're coming out of Mormonism, have questions about it, write us at our email address. We'll show it on the screen. And then we will connect you with that couple or that person in your area so that you can get with them and they can help you as you transition out with your questions and your concerns. Every one of those groups have contacted us and said, we want to represent Aletheia Ministries out here in this, in this world. And so they will, you write us, we'll connect you, and then you can meet somebody in your area who is experiencing exactly what you have uh, experienced. Okay, how about a moment from the Word? Go back to two, no? Again, we're working through the book of Matthew and just touching on passages that either directly conflict or there's something about them that is at odds with LDS attitude or culture or doctrine. Now, growing up LDS, one of the things I frequently heard regarding Christians were criticisms about their lifestyles. Uh, usually Christianity was described as just being full of people who claim to love Jesus or gave the sinner's prayer and then go on sinning like there's no tomorrow. Uh, by the way, I've never met a real Christian who has ever had that attitude, but that attitude is frequently taught and kind of inferenced in the LDS culture. Oh, they're born-again Christian. They just say they love Jesus and they go sinning like there's no tomorrow. That's always, and it's always like there's no tomorrow. So that's always kind of the thing that's there. Well, Many Mormons like to think of Jesus' true church as this strong, growth-oriented, uh, and at times maybe even picture-perfect organization full of clean, wholesome people and who own fine, fine buildings and, and dress in the very best of apparel. Well, how did Jesus describe his church? In Revelation, he describes uh, his church as lukewarm at times and weak and of little strength 
at other times. And here in Matthew 13, which is where we're at in scripture, Jesus gives several teachings where he describes his church on earth. And he prefaces his descriptions with, the kingdom of heaven is, dot, dot, dot. So now if Jesus knew his church would look like Mormonism, I'm certain he would have described it as they would describe it. The kingdom of heaven or his church will be politically and financially powerful and it will be filled with glorious men and women who are capable and well off and et cetera, et cetera. How the LDS like to portray themselves in their commercials and in, uh, and in the higher echelons of Latter-day Saint members here in Salt Lake and other places, but it's just not so. The Lord paints an altogether different picture. He, as I said, the revelation references. And then in Matthew 13, 24, he says the kingdom of heaven, and he's talking about the church, is like a field full of wheat and weeds. And then he says that it's like a loaf of bread where leaven is slipped in. And leaven, uh, leaven bread was uh, often a picture of putrefaction. It puffs up. It makes that loaf of bread puffed up with itself. So that's the picture Jesus says the, the kingdom of heaven will be like at times. Then he describes as a giant tree where the birds of the air will lodge in it. Birds of the air often being pictures of not good people. And he says the kingdom of heaven is like a fisherman who casts out a net and draws back a whole bunch of fish. Some of the fish good, some of the fish bad. In each of these teachings, a situation is represented. Real believers uh, represented by the wheat and the unleavened bread and the tree and the good fish. And then the phonies who are represented by weeds and leaven and fowls of the air and the bad fish. But here's the point. In his teaching, Jesus describes two places or two destinations for these types in his kingdom. Not a celestial kingdom, a terrestrial kingdom, and a telestial kingdom, and an outer darkness types. It's just two, the good or the bad. That's what you have in his parables about his church. And uh, with the good given eternal life and the bad cast into eternal fire. There's no middle ground in his description of the church. The true church is made up of people, my friends. It is not an earthly institution. Those who really belong to him will be as wheat and unleavened bread and the good fish. Do not ever let yourself believe an earthly institution is true because it is powerful or clean looking or accomplished. These are evidences that the prince of the world uses and obviously not what Jesus used. All right. We're not going to respond to Blake the Atheist's uh, questions again this week, but I'm going to tell you about a conversation I had over email with an atheist in London. And this atheist wrote me, and I responded, and he wrote me, and I responded, and he wrote me a giant email. I mean, it was, it was enormous in length after we went back and forth a couple times. Then he sends me this enormous email. Well, what I did was I took one sentence from the email, that's it, and then I responded to that one sentence. Well, this infuriated him. He wrote back, you didn't even read everything I wrote. You just took one thing out of context and responded to it. And I wrote back and I said, that's what you do with the word of God. You, you go and you find one thing, one thing you don't even really understand. And you build your whole premise that there is no God of one little thing in the Bible that you think is not true. If you understood it contextually, you'd see it is true. And so I, it, that kind of altered our conversation, maybe a tool you'll want to use with uh, atheists who cut and paste tons of information to you and just respond to them that way. Our ability to stay in the public eye 
is directly tied to your support of the ministry through prayer or through uh, volunteerism or financial, whatever it is. So take a look and prayerfully consider the following. excited to announce that beginning May 3rd of this year, we are going to embark on what I consider an exhaustive investigation of the Book of Mormon. Uh, we're thinking it's going to take the better part of 85 weeks. Um, the LDS say that this book has never been proved untrue or unreliable or not the Word of God. We're going to start back from the beginning, and we are going to work through that. Not necessarily all the texts of the Book of Mormon, but we're going to work through everything that has been uh, uh, dedicated to the study of the Book of Mormon from scholars, from historians, from linguists, from uh, experts of 19th century history, uh, true accounts of Joseph Smith's upbringing and life, tie it all together to the construction of the Book of Mormon. And uh, I think it's going to be an invaluable study. So tell your friends, tell your neighbors, uh, beginning May 3rd, Tuesday night, here on Heart of the Matter, we're going to start on a chronological study laid out of the Book of Mormon. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, we love you and need you, and we thank you for your support in our feeble efforts. We pray that you will be with our audience wherever they may be, that you will open eyes and ears and hearts to know you, and so that people can know that a personal relationship, an intimate, free relationship uh, is available to them through you and them, if they simply ask with a, a heart that wants to have it. So Lord, we pray for your spirit to pour out upon whoever is viewing tonight. We pray for the technical stuff that will go on now as we air this final segment uh, with John Delenn. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, we're going to conclude with the final segment of mormonstories.org. I want to thank John for his decorum and his professionalism and his uncanny ability to get to the heart of the matter on most issues. I think he's done a remarkable job, uh, often thankless. He's often criticized, I'm sure. Uh, so I thank John and his dear wife and family for the sacrifices they make to try to do that program. And I look forward to when John completely 
uh, accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and uh, comes over to the side that is not inhibited by a bunch of religious stuff. But John and I are good friends, and he knows that. I feel that about him. So we're going to open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20, so our operators can start cleaning through the calls. And uh, here we go to part six, the final segment with John DeLenn and mormonstories.org. Don't go bring in context in all this. I like to pick and, pick and choose those scriptures. To, I know, to you're good at it. Mormons need, Mormons could use a little more education about the Bible, wouldn't you say? I would agree. Yeah, yeah I, I certainly could. Um, maybe we all could. Yeah. Um, so, uh, literal hell? Uh, remember, hell was a place, Sheol. And it's a place for Satan and his angels. And there's a, there's, a, there's a prison there, and there's a paradise, okay? When Jesus died, he bridged the gulf. And everybody in paradise, the Old Testament prophets who lived by faith and believed, and all the righteous, they went to heaven. Hell will give up her dead. This is what LDS do not understand. Hell gives up her dead, and they stand before God before the great white throne. This is the revelation. And they're judged by their works. And then they are cast down, and there's different levels of eternal fire. There's a difference between hell, Sheol. It's a holding place for those who did not go to heaven when they died. Hell gives up her dead. It's like a spiritual prison. It is. It's a spiritual prison, and they, they are there. At the final judgment, the great white throne, Revelation 22, they are all come before God, and he opens up the books, and he judges them by their works. Before that judgment ever happens, the believers in Christ have already gone. Okay, so this is what the LDS missionaries will say. Read Revelation. It says right here, and the books were open, and another book was open, and we were judged by our works. Those are the people who were brought up, and they are being judged who were not believers. So there's a difference. Then they will be put in their eternal place of torment, um, and where the fire ascends, whether that's a literal flame, whether it, whatever happens there, I don't know. But I do know that Revelation says those who are with God won't remember them. We don't know. We'll never remember them again. So there's no misery there in heaven for that group. I think they're going to have to choose hell. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. I think they're going to have to choose it willfully to go there. Are you thinking few are going to go? Is that kind of how you feel? I don't know. I think maybe in the spectrum of humanity, no, maybe a lot. Jesus says, straight as the gate narrows the way, few be there that find it. So, you know, percentage-wise, probably a few would find the straight gate. But I, 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 I do believe in a, a benevolent, loving God. And all the wrath for our sin was taken out on his son, and he is appeased. And so I do believe many, many will go to be with him that might surprise us. But... but Eternal damnation for not having the right moment of belief. I don't believe that. Again, uh, not having the right moment, no. I believe people acquiesce based on what they've been given. I don't believe there's eternal torment for those who haven't been given the, 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 uh, the chance to know Jesus' name or to have a Bible. Or, but I think there's will a will. Will they be will. taught? Will they be given a chance? No. no. Because God is, God is in control and his, people, he's, his word is going out and people hear. And Jesus said, you know, pray that they'll have eyes to see and ears to hear. That's the whole thing. And those who will, will. 
Those who won't will not. Even like a Aborigine in Brazil in the he's you know, second century. He's relating to what he's got. And he is saved by the grace of, uh, of God. Okay, just like babies. Babies don't go to hell. They're saved by the grace and the shed blood of God. They, they can't choose. Children, they can't choose. So babies just get a free ride who die sure. before some age. Of... Yeah. What kind of God would send them to hell? But then what about somebody who just lives their life and doesn't really have a born-again moment but isn't really horrible and they die? I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to say is Jesus is the way. How God handles that, I don't know. You, this is again where you're sort of putting your faith and yeah. just saying, God will make it just. And I say, Jesus, I don't back off on Jesus being the way, but I don't know if that, how that applies later. No teaching in the other, later, here, before, what it entails. I know the thief on the cross didn't say a sinner's prayer. I know the thief on the cross didn't say, Jesus, be my king. He was, his, his profession was really simple. You know, but there are people who won't profess it. You know, they won't do it. And I think those are the ones who say, I spit on this shed blood, you know, and they don't know wrath because he poured his wrath on his son. They're going to sense wrath because they spit on that. They, they willfully spit. And, you know, we say, well, what loving God would do that? I don't think he wants to do it. I think he's calling constantly, but we have our freedom. And we can choose. So you're with C.S. Lewis, that all who, all who are in hell choose it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's not God keeping them out. It's them choosing not to come yeah. to God. Yeah, they, they, they won't want to. And I think you're talking about people with the attitudes of, I mean, Satan was in God's presence and rebelled. So it's not so big of an idea that men and women would. Dawkins, I think, in my opinion, is that personality type. I won't say him himself, that personality type. I had the question of like, are Lutherans in or out? Are Catholics in or out? You're not. You're just not about that. Not yeah. at all. Okay, so I won't. I won't go there. Um, homosexuality. Yeah. Uh, choice, not a choice. I think that uh, some homosexuals choose it. I think some homosexuals are born that way, and I have a, an answer for them. They need to be born again, and uh, I, I believe that uh, homosexuality is a sin. And I believe that... Uh, not, the, not the feeling, but the, the act of sexual relations. Yeah, yeah, the act of sexual... Being gay is not a sin no. in your eyes. No, no. But if you have intercourse yeah. or sexual relations, yeah. that's just com like comparable to heterosexual... Sure, having intercourse. ...promiscuity yeah. or whatever. And, but I also think homosexuals lie, and I think they have to deal with those sins. What do you mean? Well, I think homosexuals lie like heterosexuals do. I mean, we focus on their sexuality and that, the, the sin of homosexuality, but I think there's uh, homosexuals who are violent, and I think there's homosexuals who will lie, just like there's heterosexuals who are. Why do we focus on their sexuality? I think the Christian community has made a big mistake in focus, focusing all of our animus against the homosexual community because they're homosexuals. You know, I'm a, I'm a heterosexual male who likes women. You know, what do you want? That's my sin, but I still go to church. The problem is the homosexuals say, I want to make my sin okay. I want to say it's not a sin, but it is. But just get your gay self into church. Let Jesus handle that. So you get born again as a gay, oh, and you die as a gay. Jesus has handled it. But no, they have to say, you know, no, I, I, you have to accept my homosexuality is okay. Why? The, the, the scripture's complete. Adam and Eve, you know? I mean, we have to go by some 
manual or standard. I don't hate them. I love them equally. We are all sinners. I don't hold their sin any differently than anyone else. But they should be going to church. I have a gay couple uh, uh, who live in Spain, two men. What do you mean you have them? You mean they come to your... Yeah. What do you mean? They've come to the show. They've flown from Spain. They're, They're fans. They support us. And they love it. And I, it, they are, have every right to be in a Christian church as I do or anybody else because their gays are relevant. And so the Christian community has made a big mistake in trying to go after their, their sexuality. You know, their problems are just like mine. You know? So can a, can a gay person become born again? Sure. But then be married to a gay partner and live their life in celibacy to each other, sure. commitment to each other? Sure. And be gay for the rest of their life. Sure. But they were born again. You can die gay. Yeah, you can die but gay. But not just gay, but like living, being uh, intimate with other people, other men. Or you women. know, the pro- here's the problem with that, with the thinking. I know you don't think this, but the problem is, is we have this idea is when you're born again, you become perfect. You are perfect, but it's through his blood. So a gay man or woman who become born again, they are perfect through his blood, not through themselves. So if they continue to struggle with homosexuality, which I'm going to always say is a sin, that's covered by the blood of Christ. He then lives in them and he works through them. We have this idea in the Christian community that because they're gay, they could never be born again. Just like they say, you're Mormon, you could never be born again. It's insane. A gay man and woman has the same right to that Holy Spirit coming and changing their heart. And then we let God work with them on their sexuality. All right? I could be an alcoholic and if I'm born again in a bar and I've met them, and they can't stop drinking, but they are the most, they love the Lord and they, they want to stop, but their flesh won't let them. I would never say they're not going to heaven because they died an alcoholic. They love the Lord. It's their faith. That's the difference. So a homosexual should have and embrace that same faith. What are we going to do in heaven for eternity? Play harps on clouds. <laughs> do, you, do you have any idea? I mean, it sounds boring, right? We I mean, don't know. What, what All I can do? tell you is this. You know, Jesus gives some really vague statements. Eye has not seen nor ear heard the glories that await them that believe. All right? So um, I trust in that completely. And we know we're going to get a new model of body, and I don't know what that's going to be like. So that might play into what we're going to do. Maybe we'll go on and we'll create things like, like Joseph imagined. You're open you know, to that? Oh, sure. I have no idea. You know, I, you know, I, I view heaven as a very unique place. You know, think about this. The Garden of Eden, had it continued on, and Adam and Eve done it, and they, pro- and they procreated, and there's a whole community, and we're living in the Garden of Eden now, that's kind of Joseph Smith's idea of celestial marriage. So I, I'm not, I am not dogmatic on stuff. I just know that Mormonism uh, and their doctrines on many of the core issues are so far askew, I'm going to fight it. So have you ever found yourself thinking back about Joseph, kind of for a moment separating how he may or may not have impacted people coming to Christ in your mind, but just like felt a brotherhood or a kinship with him, even an appreciation and a beauty. Sure. Talk about that. Well, what was beautiful about Joseph? The audience is going to really now think I've lost it, but I've always believed this. I, uh, I have a kindred spirit with Joseph Smith. And I understand that man. I would love him as a great friend. I'm sure he was charismatic. I'm sure he was, and I'm sure he had a, a wonderful heart for things. I know he loved his family, and I know he loved women, and I know he loved the pomp and power, and he, he cracks me up. I, I remember hearing the story about him 
giving out parcels of land and uh, someone comes up and says, Joseph, I don't like that parcel you gave me. And he says, uh, you know, that's where it was in uh, Missouri. That's where Cain slew Abel. And the guy said, I want it then, Joseph. He was, he was just amazing. He could whip it up anywhere and bring it forward and make you believe it. I, I, I think he started off with good intentions. I think that he uh, got lost somewhere along the way. Uh, you know, in ter- what's a really interesting point in terms of soteriology is you could say that Joseph Smith had the born-again experience. And if born-againers believe that you're saved by grace and there's, it doesn't matter what you do thereafter, they would have to question where Joseph Smith is. Because if he was, if he was saved, he was saved. And uh, You're open to the fact that Joseph Smith could be saved. I could, I could, I'm open to anything like that. Uh, but I also believe, uh, you know, Joseph, um, he let it run amok. And I believe he did a lot of damage in the end. I think when he told people that the Bible can't be trusted and now he's going to supply you with a new book, which I do not believe in that book at all, uh, based off what I believe are facts, um, I think he started doing things that were wrong. But so did Tammy Faye Baker and so did, so did uh, you know, Swaggart and so did most religious leaders, you know. You're open. Are you open to the fact that throughout the whole experience, his heart was trying to be in the right place? I think... I. Th- I perceive it that initially and in the beginning, he, he was trying to do well. And I just get that through his interaction with Emma Hale's dad and just different things. But I just feel like when he saw that he could convince people of some things, it just went. And I think he went right with it to the end in Nauvoo and riding the horses and wearing the uniforms and being ordained king of the world. I, I just have to start laughing. And had I, you know, I could even see, you know, in my chicaneries and life, I could see myself conning people in ways like that, too. So I understand him as a man. Given, given the fact that the Book of Mormon, like a fifth of it, is direct quoted from the Bible, have you ever read the Book of Mormon from just a, you know, Grant Palmer's premise is that he, he's okay with the Book of Mormon because he feels like it brings people to Christ. Yeah. Have you ever just read the text of the Book of Mormon just to see what type of Christ vibe it gives off. It gives a good one. Yeah. So you, you're actually okay with the text yeah. of the Book of Mormon and the, the Christian messages. Most of it, yeah. Really? I don't like to say by grace after all that we can do. There's a few lines in there I That's don't appreciate. That's not from the Bible somewhere? No. Okay. No. So there's a few twists in there, but generally, I, yeah, I, I would agree with Grant. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like the Book of Mormon can bring someone to Christ? Can the sure. Book of Mormon be the impetus for a, a born-again experience? Sure, Absolutely. Yeah. But the problem with the Book of Mormon is this. It's a fraud. <laughs> okay? And, and then what it is, it's a hook. Because if you believe the Book of Mormon, then you're going to go on and you're going to believe the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price and then Temple Rites and Rituals. And so it's a hook. So that's my problem with the Book of Mormon. I don't think that it necessarily teaches a bad doctrine. I just think that it is used by the church and it hooks people into things that I do believe are bad. Are you familiar with the work of Robert Millet and Stephen Robinson at all? I am. Uh, a, a writer wrote in, a listener wrote in and asked, what do you think about their work? I like... Uh, well, first, tell, tell our listeners what their work is from your perspective. Robinson's, is that uh, How Wide the Divide? Probably. I think so. And, and I, Believing Christ. Believe, no, that's... Uh, that's Believing Christ is uh, Grant Palmer's, I think. Okay. No, so, anyway... Uh, I, I really think that uh, Robinson has some great points in what he says, and uh, I, I like his writings. I think uh, uh, Bob Millett is a duplicitous man, 
And I think I've heard him speak in Christian churches, and I think he's a showman, as much of a showman as I am. And I think that he, uh, he does not speak the truth. And I... Um, Duplicitous, like, give me an example of what he'll say to one person. I think he speaks from both sides of his mouth. He, he, he does not uh, reveal what Mormonism is and, uh, so as to appear that, uh, that he is a Christian, and maybe Bob is, but he makes Mormonism appear like it is right nestled up with evangelical Christianity. And I think that uh, when he is off camera that, or off uh, scene, he is uh, through and through. I, there's videos of him speaking to, to people about Christianity. He's gone to people's homes I know who are coming out of Mormonism and specifically went and bashed against the Christian religion they were trying to do. So he has this uh, dog and pony show with Greg Johnson, and they go to ch Christian churches, and they, they are friends, so they get along. And Bob paints this picture that is not Mormonism. And, and his response is, when people say, it's not Mormonism, I say, well, it's what I believe, but it really isn't. And so uh, I think he's duplicitous. And I go on the record as saying that's my opinion, but that's what I believe of Bob Millett. But aren't they kind of trying to inch the church more in a direction of it's not works and the grace? I mean, I, I've heard him interviewed, and he does a lot of grace talk. Yeah. Well, his book is called Grace Works. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting title, and I think it kind of really says what it is. And, and people who are saved by grace, they do, they do. Someone who really is does. But I just believe Bob muddies the waters. Um, and I know he's been taking the task uh, for doing that, but I, I, he and I were going to have a debate, but it never came through because he thought I was too antagonistic. Yeah. Are you friends with Grant Palmer? Yeah. Yeah, I love Grant Palmer. He's a great man. Um, <clears throat> all right. This is a question I didn't uh, let you see beforehand. Oh, good. Not a zinger. Oh, dang. Um, having our own little Nixon Frost moment here. <laughs> no. Um, so let's just pretend that a member of the First Presidency and a member of the Quorum of the Twelve listens to this. And in their heart, they know that things could be better. And they like what you're saying. And they think, we got to, we got, you know, your messages about how works can, and, and perfectionism can burn down the member, that it really is about Jesus and, and um, giving it to him and, and, and how freeing that can be. And they, uh, you know, they're, they're open. Their hearts and their minds are open to Sean McCraney to maybe give them some advice. <laughs> Here are the rules of the advice. The advice you give must strengthen the church or at least keep it as strong as it is now. And by strong, I mean butts and seats and tithing. But if you can give them advice that basically um, helps them uh, lead more of their church members to have a born-again experience, to accept Christ. If you can give them advice that will lead more people to that end without weakening the church, without weakening the institution, without driving members away or making people feel like, uh, you know, it was a house of cards that fell down, mm -hmm. what advice would you, would you give the church leaders to right the ship it, to the extent that it could? Can't do it. What do you mean? They use totalistic methodologies to keep the church strong. 
the gospel of salvation by grace, which is, which is what being born again is founded on, um, it will diminish the church. If they said, listen, everybody, we're going to put aside this mandatory work ethic and we're going to just come to the knowledge, this is the only thing we're going to say, is you're saved by, the, by believing on the blood of Jesus Christ. That is it. That is it. And we're not changing anything else. You're not going to have people serving like they do. You're not going to have people paying the tithing like they do. And you're going to have attrition. And so you can't have those two. Works-based theology has churches grow. It strengthens them. The body of Christ has always been uh, feeble. It's not a worldwide movement. It's never going to be a powerhouse in this fallen world. So it's counterintuitive to try to give advice to say it can't weaken the numbers or the money, but this will help the members. Can't do it. Can't do it. All right. I'll, I'll change the terms. Okay. Put aside the money. Put aside activity rates. Let's just say someday the LDS church looks at itself like um, the reorganized LDS church did back in the 60s and 70s. And they say, the, the, the evidence against the truth claims are overwhelming. Um, we are not what we claim to be, but, and they don't announce this, mm -hmm. they say to themselves, we've got four or five million people willing to follow what we say and do. Mm -hmm. We've got all these assets and resources, all this land, all this money, all this power. Mm -hmm. We don't want to just like fold up shop and have everyone just be thrown into chaos. We want to evolve in whatever way we have to that's ethical and moral mm -hmm. and Christ-centered. And we want to um, give the church and, and ourselves over to Christ. Um, is there a way for them to do that? Yeah. And to still try and, and be an existing entity sure. that is trying to do good. Yeah, I would say my advice would be retain all your great organizational structure. This sounds familiar. Uh, really? Sounds like Gordon B. Hinckley. Uh, uh, bring all you have and yeah, let's yeah. see if we can add something to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so say. say. So, so <laughs> in, in, in honor of Gordon, uh, retain all the good that you have. And, and I mean that in the terms of lifestyle. Keep your, your basketball courts open for the kids. Keep your youth programs going. But you have to remove any teaching that says you have to do this in addition to believe on the blood of Jesus Christ. You will free your members and you will, you will release them from a life of burden. Make those temples that you've got meditation houses, places for the poor or whatever you want. But remove that, that, that uh, Masonic tie where they need to do those things that adds to faith in Christ. Use your assets wisely. Be a denomination that is known as being conservative and strict and rigid. Who cares? And you'll, you'll continue to have what people want from the church. But free those people from believing that they uh, are going to earn their salvation through any way but by faith in, in Christ. That's what I would say. What are the most, I think you've covered this, but what are the most damaging things? Let's just say that the church wasn't going to do A or B. But let's just say they were going to say, okay, Sean, 
most damaging things, we're open to listening. Okay. What are, what are some of the most damaging things that you would make a plea for them to stop doing? Ways that it's more, most harmful or, or damaging to people's lives. I am so liberal in my views of religion that I think they could even keep the temple ceremonies, the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenant, well, maybe not some of the, maybe not Doctrine and Covenant, but great perhaps because they teach counter. The most damaging thing is that the blood of Jesus and faith in him is not enough. If they altered that alone, they could keep all their, uh, their unique and strange and out there practices and their culture or whatever, but that is the core to free people uh, religiously. So even if people were doing that, well, it would be tough to go and do an endowment ceremony because you realize that you, the things you do in there are what help you get into heaven. So they're kind of counter. But, I mean, if, if people could just hear that from their pulpit at General Conference, we want you to hear this clearly. When you believe on Jesus, the Son of the living God, and his shed blood, and you ask and you're born again, that is imperative. Do it. You know, I, I would probably stop the show, you know. Stop the show. Sure, I'd stop the show. I have no reason, you know. But I don't think they'll do it. Well, let's end with your equivalent of a testimony. If you had a few final words, I mean, you said a lot. I've asked you almost everything. Thrown the kitchen sink at you. <laughs> All my questions are answered. Um, my final testimony is uh, the Lord changed a wretched man's life. I still fail. I, um, but he changed me, and people who have known me know he has. And um, that can happen for anybody of any faith, whether they decide to stay in that faith or leave it. My, uh, I apologize to people if they feel that I have an axe to grind against individual Mormons, because I don't. I love them, and for the record, I've said this on the show, I like them often much better than the Christians I know, you know? Because at least they sometimes hold to a standard of decorum. And you don't always find that in, in, in the Christian community. So I, I have a love for the LDS, and that's why I do what I do. I, I pray for grace and love from people if they watch the program. Um, but my heart is to help people understand who Jesus is because he does change lives. We see it, and he changed mine. That's your testimony. That's it. It's too simple. Really? It's got to be more complicated. <laughs> add a little... I got nothing more, man. <laughs> Sean McCraney, thanks for coming on Mormon Stories. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, John. It's been my pleasure. When a donkey gets a chance to talk, it sometimes makes mistakes. I, I listen to myself sometimes, and there's things I say, I'm like, oh, gosh. So let me first of all say, I do not have a gay couple. <laughs> I said in that interview, I have a gay couple in Spain. I do not have a gay couple in Spain. There is a gay couple in Spain, and uh, just so that doesn't go haywire. And I know I messed a number of things up over the course of that six-part interview. Um, remember, John gave me the chance to uh, see the questions, but I said, no, I just want to go off the cuff. 
And, you know, I make mistakes. I say things sometimes that are, that are not right. And so you don't want to trust me. I, I, you should never trust me on the show. But there are places where you can check the facts. Christians go to the Bible to make sure things that are said are right or wrong. That's what we use, the manual, not me. And Mormons, go to utlm.org and uh, see if the things I say are right or wrong. I think you'll discover that, uh, that many of them are, are correct. Okay? We're going to go to Lynn in Salt Lake City. First-time caller, uh, XLDS. Lynn, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. I love your show. Thanks. Um, I have a question uh, concerning Mormonism and its place in the New World Order. Uh, I understand that Mormon missionaries and elders make good CIA agents because they are uh, quick to keep secrets and, and they're very, very faithful in, in their service of, in a job capacity. Uh, but being a powerful entity, I just can't help but think that there is uh, a place they hold at the round table, if you will, in this uh, globalist new world order. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, my only thoughts are pure conjecture, um, Lynn, but I agree with you. If I, was to, uh, if I was to guess, I do believe Mormonism not only uh, seeks to be a world power, that in many ways they are becoming more and more. And uh, one day we will do a show on their, uh, on their ties to CIA, Secret Service, FBI, uh, politically how they're getting much stronger, and how they do represent a nice conservative vote and especially in times of America where our, our, moral, our collective moral stance is just crumbling under our feet. I mean, Mormonism represents you know, a good front to kind of lead the way. So uh, I, I think that there are uh, connections. Some people take it to the point that uh, the temples are going to serve as, as uh, kind of beacons of light around the world when we become a one world order. I think I have uh, quotes I think I can find quotes from uh, groups that talk about uh, and promote a one-world uh, nation within Mormonism, especially if they could rule the world through a, the a theocratic governance, but I don't think they will. Um, I'm not sure what the John Birch Society types are about when it comes to one world. They might be completely against it, but that thinking was really strong during the Cleon Skousen days and the Ezra Taft Benson days when he was Secretary of Agriculture. So I think they are a very powerful group. I do believe they are a humanist group of the world, and I think money is very important to them, and it gives them all the makings to, be, uh, to go hand-in-hand hand with uh, this new world order. My opinion, though. Wow, Sean, thank you. You've, uh, you've really brought a few points that I, I haven't been able to piece together, and uh, I tend to agree, and I'll look forward to the forthcoming show of, uh, of more on that topic. Okay, my friend. Thanks for calling. Good ministry. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. We have a question here. What happens to people who haven't heard about Jesus? Uh, I don't know. We do know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. So if they haven't heard, we don't know. We know that the Lord writes his laws in seven different ways. We did a show on it. He writes it on the, on the fleshy tables of the heart. He writes it on nature, he writes it on stone, he writes it in his word, and his Holy Spirit is calling out to the world. So uh, I think in, in, a, in a great sense, anybody who wants to know Jesus will find Jesus. 
So uh, I got to give you that. Although what happens to those who just really never had a chance and wanted to know? I don't know if that's happened. If it's happened, that's up to God and his grace. So uh, go from there. Uh, we had an interesting um, email, first of all, from Melvin. He says he just wants to let us know. He took his name off the records of the church, and he finally found a church. It's a non-denominational. They teach straight out of the Bible. They teach the only way to heaven is through faith in Christ. And uh, they also teach in the first sermon I attended that no man, institution, or church can get you into heaven, only Christ. Nothing else can save you. And he says he really enjoys going there. So I want you LDS to know that in your community, I guess Melvin has searched for a while, but he's found a right fit. And uh, this is the kind of fit you want, one that teaches the Bible and teaches salvation by uh, grace through faith. So that's good news. Uh, we have Daniel asking if God Makers 2, a anti-Mormon production film by Ed Decker years ago, is right on its facts, and he uses facts about a high-ranking LDS official uh, and his involvement with uh, some people in sexual things. I want to tell you, God Makers 2 is not a reliable film. Uh, I think uh, Brother Decker made some grave mistakes. He's of the opinion that it's better to lead people to heaven through a lie than it is to not lead them at all. And that, that film has a lot of errors in it, so I wouldn't recommend watching it and uh, pray it will go better. From uh, Mr. Bolton, you use the phrase born-again Mormon, and it raises questions. I know, based upon your own statements, that you have received a good deal of criticism from other Christians. Based on Reformed theology and biblical authority, one is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, and to God alone belongs the glory. This is, as I understand it, the core of the Christian gospel, good news. I believe one may correctly assume that when someone says they are a member of the Mormon Church, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that they believe what the prophet Joseph Smith and his successors taught and what the church continues to teach today. As you are well aware, the Mormon Church is not remotely Christian if the Bible is the standard God's truth and his exclusive written revelations to man. Therefore, if one claims to be both Mormon and at the same time born again, this appears to raise serious contradiction in terms. Unless, of course, the person renounces the teaching and authority of the LDS Church and instead substitutes the Jesus of the Bible and the Bible itself in, as his exclusive authority in all matters of uh, faith and practice. The net effect of, for, of the foregoing would be for the individual to remain on the rolls of the LDS Church while renouncing its teaching and authority. Having said this, if someone truly accepts and believes the teachings of the LDS Church, it is not possible to be born again in the biblical sense. I want Robert, or Mr. Robert to know he's wrong. You're absolutely wrong. When I became born again at the side of the road, which was life-altering, I still believed that Jesus was the brother of Satan. I still believed that Jesus was a created being. I still believed that God the Father came down and had relations with uh, uh, Mary in order to form Jesus. So I was completely messed up relative to what the ontological proofs and truths were of Jesus from the Bible. Nevertheless, the Holy Spirit came in and changed my heart, which then allowed me to start to understand those falsehoods and remain LDS for four years and finally come out. When Sandra Tanner, founder of UTLM.org, uh, and her husband came out, it took Sandra four years to overcome the teachings about the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. She knew the church wasn't true, but believed the Book of Mormon to be true. 
You know, you can't make these statements, these, these statements about if, then, you must, all this stuff. Open it up, man. Just let the Holy Spirit work through people and teach people about the Lord. It can make anybody come to know the Lord and then work with them to bring them out. So I completely, obviously, you can tell, disagree with you, Robert. All right. We have Bruce from Murray online, too. Bruce, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello, Sean. Hello, Bruce. Um, I, uh, I am a non-denominational Christian. Uh-huh. Talk loudly, Bruce. Okay. I, uh, I spoke with you years ago. I, I'm certain that you don't remember me, but um, I wanted to uh, talk to you about the last book, uh, of the New Testament, J just um, a couple of viewpoints uh, since it was written in the ancient Greek. Dear goodness, <laughs> we are in such trouble right now, my brother. Uh, you're talking about the book of Revelation, which I really am the weakest of all Christians in understanding. Uh, I understand it a bit. To call on the show, on a show that we try to keep fast-paced, and to bring out questions of a general nature about the Greek in the book of Revelation, uh, it's like talking to a slug and asking him to create a, a building. I can't do it. I, I'm not uh, capable. Maybe through email we can have a discussion, but on the air, Bruce, I'm just not equipped. Oh, okay, could I ask you just one question? You can ask. The sixth seal. He lives off San Clemente Island and he barks loudly. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I can't tell you, Bruce. I have to, I'm not a scholar. I'm not a smart guy. All I am is a researcher who has to go and reach and dig and find and research to put my stuff together. I, I, so I just couldn't do it. I couldn't speak with any type of authority on the sixth seal unless I really study it. Okay? Okay. I, Sorry, Bruce. You know, but if you go to a good uh, Christian pastor who's really been in the Word for a while, those guys know their stuff. There are plenty of churches in this state you can walk into and say, hey, let's talk about the sixth seal. Go to Terry Long at Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City. Boom! You'll have three hours of sixth seal on your hand. With me, we're talking about a sixth seal. <laughs> Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. We're going to Scotty in Ogden. Scotty, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, thanks for putting me on the air. Hey, I love the program. Thanks. No idea the anguish I go through at work. I'm surrounded by him, man. Really? Appreciate it. Um... And I'd like to give a shout-out to my mother and father-in-law, Janae and Tom. How you guys doing? Hey, my question for you is, what defines the Mormons as a cult? What is it that they do or don't do that makes them a cult? It's a great question. We did a show on it uh, years ago in 2006. But if you go online and you type in the name Dr. Robert J. Lifton, L-I-F-T-O-N, he uh, is an expert on cult methodologies. He lived in China for years and he studied the communist methods that they used on the people to keep their mindset uh, uh, formed and moving the way they wanted. And he lists, I think it's nine, might be 11 
signs of a cult. So this had nothing to do with religion. But if you go and you read those 11 signs, uh, you will see an exact echoing replica of every one of them uh, in the Mormon church. <laughs> I love it. God bless you, man. You're doing a great job, and it's, it's really refreshing. God bless you. See you later. Okay, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Yeah, uh, got a question here. Oh, let me read her an email. I'm trying to get behind. This is really interesting. We only have two and a half minutes, but dear Mr. McCraney, about two years ago, you helped me commit apostasy against the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and get my name removed from the church record. Since that time, I've had a change of heart and have regained a testimony of the church. I do not accept Jesus. I do accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior and now discover that the attacks and lies about the LDS true are just that. Lies. Uh, I've since been rebaptized and have felt forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Christ's atonement. I am striving to live the gospel as you once knew and had a testimony of. So, according to your beliefs, am I going to hell? Absolutely. No. Uh, uh, according to my beliefs, no, we won't talk about that. Listen, I remember you by your name and I remember your mindset towards things. And so I can understand from your email how you went back. It was a great deal of, of cultural pressure, a great deal of loneliness and familial uh, uh, resistance. So I understand that. But let me tell you something. If you had a testimony or have a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you could never re-embrace Mormonism. You couldn't do it. Because if you had that belief, you would know that he is the beginning and the end of all things. He's the author and finisher of your faith. It is by his blood and shed blood alone that you are saved. And it is by grace. It is not by your obeying the Sabbath day. It's not by your paying the tithing. It's not by striving to be worthy. What you have done is said, listen, I can't stand being free from communism anymore. I entered the world of capitalism and I can't cope. So I'm going to go back to the confines of communism and let me shackle me again so that I can feel some kind of uh, resolution in my life. The children, that, that's not picking on you. The children of Israel, when they got away from Egypt, were out in the desert and they said, hey, you know, it wasn't so bad back there when we had melons and leeks. You know, it wasn't so bad being under bondage. You see, with Christ, there is freedom and liberty that causes you to choose and you to stand up and decide if you're going to stand up for him or not. So what you've done is you've gone back to the cradle. And you said, feed me and accept me and love me so that I can feel like a Christian. And what you've done is you've really turned on the grace of Christ. If you've re-embraced Mormonism as you've said you have. So there's my opinion on it, my friend. I hope that, again, you will come out, see the light. It's there for all of you to experience and understand. Go and ask the Lord to bless you. See you then.